0: Not sure why it happened this way, but for some reason, the day that I graduated, I went out and got my very first job. Went down to McDonald's, signed up, ended up bouncing around for a couple of years between a couple of different jobs, and I finally landed at being a substitute teacher. Have no idea why I did that either, other than I was able to play basketball and get paid for it, which I enjoyed playing basketball, so... After a couple of uh, substitute teaching gigs and kind of uh, getting to know some of the teachers, I did some substitute teaching for the um, high school football coach. He was my football coach in high school. And so he asked me, would you want to coach football with me? Do you want to be the wide receivers coach? Now, I looked up to him. He was the wide receivers coach when I was playing football. And he kind of moved up to the head coaching position. And so, yeah. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit underneath this guy and learn as much as I can about coaching football. And so I uh, started football, went through the spring training, went through the fall training, and then every Sunday afternoon, evening, they would get together and they would look at the film from Friday night. And so Friday night, or uh, they would look through the film and they'd get through halftime, and I'd get there about when they were getting t- into halftime. And so they were talking and dialoguing. Now, all of these coaches... I played underneath. There was, a line, there was a lineman coach that was about six inches taller than me, twice as wide as me, and he never, ever smiled. And the only time he ever smiled was when he was up to something, and you didn't know if you were on his side or the opposite side. So I didn't like him. He intimidated me. He's sitting there watching the game film, and he says, you know, this team here reminds me of a team that was from a couple of years ago. They just, you go into halftime and you tell them all the corrections that they need to make and everything that they need to do to fix the problems on the field and then they go out in the second half and they just roll over like a dead fish and they don't play football. They just give up. They have no desire to win whatsoever. It kind of reminds me of when Clay Howard played. And then it got really quiet and they all turned and looked at me and they said, you were on that team, weren't you, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, they started apologizing. I was like, no, no, we, we did. We, we rolled over. And we, we, we had no desire to win at all. And I look back and, you know, there's, there's some things that you do that you... You know, the moment that you do them, you regret what you've just done. And then there's other times that you do something and it takes months it takes years sometimes you're really thick-headed and it takes you a little bit of time to realize man i really wish i would have done something a little bit better you know i wish you know i went to the to the weight room it doesn't show but i went to the weight room and lifted maybe the bar or you know i did that three times a week and i was really not very rip um but at least i tried but i wish i would have gone out and i wish i would have you know passed the ball more i wish i would have ran routes more i wish i would have worked on my agility more and so i look back and I, i just wish that I would have done more. I look back in regret on that moment in my life. You know, God's blessings are all around us. They're all around us, and they're always available to to God's people. The question is, are His people always ready to receive His blessings? As you go through life, in five years from now, in ten years from now, as you look back at this moment, will you say, Man, I wish I would have, and fill in the blank. Or will you say, Man, I am glad that I did this, and fill in the blank? Will you live a life of regret, or will you look back and live a life of blessing? You know, for the past couple of weeks, we've taken a look at the book of Haggai and these people called the Jews that have been put into bondage by the Babylonian Empire, they've been taken away from their homeland. Uh, they've been asked to worship idols um, and they've been put under oppression and recently they've been released Uh, the king has said you know you guys need to go and build your house of worship and so they've been working on rebuilding their house of worship they went back and they laid the foundation they put down the foundation but they faced opposition and they said you know what this is too hard We're going to go and build our own houses and focus on our own selves. And we're not going to worry about God because this is too hard. Last week, David talked about in Haggai chapter 2, be hopeful and faithful. God is always present. And he talked about how they had started. They they restored and renewed that building of the temple. They started building that temple up. And then they, they started thinking about, well, this isn't as good as when Solomon was around. Solomon's temple was so much better and so much greater. And God said, you know what, guys, don't worry about that. You know, I'm going to be the one that shakes the nations. I'm going to be one that brings in the gold. I'm going to be the one that brings in the silver. So you guys just focus on building it because the glory of the temple that you're building today is going to be greater than the glory of the temple when Solomon was all around. It's not going to be as good. It's not going to have the gold. It's not going to have the silver that Solomon had. But the glory of this temple is going to be greater than the glory of Solomon's temple. And I was just kind of as I was studying this past week, there's a between that passage that Pastor Dave preached last week and the passage we're going to take a look at today, there are a couple of months. There are about two to three months between those, these two passages that we're going to take a look at. And so I went back and I read through Ezra because Ezra gives a lot of the history of what was taking place during this time. And so I read through the first part of Ezra. And just, just to kind of put a little bit more context to this, this was taking place right about the time that there was a transition in power. So Haggai, who is believed to be an older prophet, and Zechariah, who's kind of the, the young pup coming up on the scenes, uh, got together and really challenged Israel or challenged the Jews to get this temple built. Got a tran- transition in power. This king is a little bit more favorable to us. And so let's go ahead and build this temple. We didn't have, they didn't have permission. They just went ahead and built it. And the opposition that they faced 15, 16 years before came back again and said, you know what, whoa, you guys can't be building this temple. You guys have to stop. But they said, no, we're going to continue to press forward because we believe this is what God wants us to do. They sent a message to the king. The king said, yeah, okay. After doing my research, after doing big digging through the records, I see that you guys are supposed to build this temple. And so it kind of reminds me of what Pastor Dave was talking about last week as God was starting to shake ...and bring in the gold because King Darius then gave them permission to build a temple... ...and he sent the gold, he sent the silver, he sent the resources that were necessary to, to build this temple. They took a step of faith. They, they started building this temple and God provided the resources. You know, as the Jews continued this construction on the temple... ...Haggai now comes back with his third message... And this message, just as I was looking through it, tends to be a little bit more different because up until this point, Haggai is telling the Jews, you guys need to build this temple. You guys need to be busy. You guys need to be doing. You need to be doing. You need to be active. You need to be." But then Haggai comes back with a third message. And just looking through this message, it seems to be that it's, he's addressing more of the heart. He's addressing more of their motives. So let's take a look at this passage, uh, Haggai chapter 2. get to Matthew and go three books back, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Haggai chapter 2, and it's it's almost as if God is giving them a time to assess what's going on. He's asking them, are you ready for God's blessing? Do you have the right heart? So Haggai chapter 2, starting in verse 10, on the 24th day of the ninth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? He's making a reference back to the Levitical law. There was a, a, in, the, in Leviticus, it talks about unholy or holy or clean and unclean, about living a life of clean, making sure the priests were clean. And so he's making reference and he's asking the priest... Go back to your Levitical law and give an interpretation. So that's what is going on here. And the priest answered and said, You know, looking back, no, it's not. They don't. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, It does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So is it with this people and with this nation before me declares the lord and so with every work of their hand and what they offer there is unclean now if you remember the jews were coming out of captivity they were in the babylonian captivity if you remember a couple of guys by the name of shadrach meshach and abednego that they were taken into captivity as well and they were asked to bow down and worship an idol they were asked to change their diet to the king's diet and they said no we're going to live according to how god wants us to live and so for the past couple of decades, these people were living under a, a, a rule, under a, a system where they're asked to do idol worship. They're, they, were, they were tainted in a way. And God was challenging them, are you ready to receive my blessing? Do you have the right heart? Now, the external holiness, you guys can be busy, you could be building and building and building. Make sure that your heart is right. Make sure that you have a clean life, not just on the outside, but on the inside. Because the external holiness, just because you're busy and somebody else comes alongside you, does that make them holy because they are now working on the temple as well? No. They're just going to make you unclean. And so they're kind of in a lose-lose situation here. And that's exactly where God wants them. God wants them to realize that they are in a lose-lose situation, that they cannot live that holy life without Him. You know, we can, take, we can take whatever it is that uh, we can think of as the best and elevate it to, a, to the highest level. KU sometimes, or, or Iowa, or Iowa State, or whatever team you like for the NCAA tournament. You can elevate it to the highest level, but yet it's still going to be unholy. And that's what God is saying here. You can elevate your life. You can elevate your service to the highest level, but it's still going to be unholy. You need me to wrap my life around you. You need to hide your life in me. You need to be in me so that I can be holy and you can be holy as you go out and serve. What's the answer for, what's the answer for uh, living a life of holiness? It's to pursue God. Haggai came with the word of God. And and there's this idea of listening in uh, in the Jewish history that in America we think, listen. Yeah, I listened. Okay, I heard you, mom. I heard you. I heard you. But the idea that the Jews have is when they listen, they take that next step of obeying. And so God is coming with his word and he wants them not just to listen with their ears, but he wants them to act it out. God is telling them, align your hearts with my heart. Be in me. You know, we have that DNA. We as believers have that DNA to live a holy life. And we often think that it's some um, saint that's gone on before us, somebody that's been crowned a, a, a saint by the church, or maybe they think we think it's a pastor. We think it's somebody special that's, that's uh, standing on stage, and they are the ones that are living a holy life. I went and visited the uh, Savage Life group this past Friday night. Um, we we're supposed to meet at one house. There is a sickness in the Savage household, and so we went and met at the Rogers house. And so we went there and we met, and we were doing a, a very sanctified holy work of watching Duke get beat. Sorry. <laughs> um, but um, at the end, sorry, I'm never going to be invited to the Rogers house again. Um, he's a Duke fan. I shouldn't have said that. Um, but we were watching the game and the game was wrapping up and we, we, uh, we were about to break. We were about to go home and then we hear a knock at the door. I was like, huh, that's kind of strange. Even Brandon said, that's kind of strange. It's weird that somebody come knocking on the door at eight 30. So he goes over and opens up the door and we hear, Hey, we're missionaries and we wanted to come and share Jesus with you. I'm thinking, huh, no, don't let him in, don't let him in, don't let him in, oh, yeah, come on in, and so they come in, and we're, you know, they were kind of taken aback by just the the welcome in. Of course, there were about eight people in there, half of them guys, and there's these two missionaries or two women, and so it's just, oh, yeah, we're having our own Bible study, and come on in, and and so we sat there and talked with them and just learned a little bit about their faith and You know, they left after 15, 20 minutes. We invited them back to come back the following week to talk a little bit more about faith and about what they believe. And the conversation that took place after that, just listening to the heart of this group was awesome. Molly said, hey, you know, these these women, these these people that believe this are so deceived by the leaders of this church. Let's pray for them. Now that's living a holy life. It's not elevated to the point where there's lights on them and you know they're shining and it's just having a heart for people and having a heart and having a compassion for people and their eternal destiny. That's what a holy not, holy life looks like. God's blessings are available to his people. Are we ready to receive his blessings? Now, the more one takes time to understand God, the more one's actions change. God is holy. He calls us to be holy. We're the ones that have to change to become holy. God is the one that is holy. He's asking the Jews, consider where you are. Right now, you're maybe halfway in, halfway out. But consider where you are. I want you to follow me in Everything that you do, my holiness will become your holiness. Now, the Jews could have stopped at that point, and that's where regret usually comes in. Regret is not moving past the point where God is asking us to move. God is asking them, this is how you've been living. I want you to take that next step. I want you to move beyond this point. And so regret is not moving past the point where God is calling a person. God is calling the Jews out. They could have stayed where they were, Let's see what happened. Verse 15. Now then, consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, uh, there were but ten. But one ca- when one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail... Yet you do not turn to me, declares the Lord. It's going back to before they started the work of God, Before they, when they were just focusing solely upon themselves. They started moving in a different direction. God is pointing out, if you were to continue in this path, this is what you would have. You would come to get the grain and you'd only get a 50% return. Or you get a less than fifty percent return. You'd be working your 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 knuckles to the uh, to the bone, but yet you would be only getting a little bit back. What he's saying: What I want to do is, I want you to bl- I want to bless you. Keep moving on. You know, Pastor Dave last week or in in weeks past talked a little bit about building the temple versus being the church. You know, this and, and just kind of thinking through blessing. When we, when we think blessing, sometimes we, because we, we see a physical, material world around us, we instantly think material or physical blessings. But there's this whole world of not just physical blessings, but also spiritual blessings. This past week, uh, my family and I went out and were trying to find some furniture. And so we went and looked at—we were trying to get to a furniture, um, used furniture uh, store, but we ended up antiquing instead. Um, not sure how that worked out, but that's what we did. It made my wife really happy um, that we went antiquing, and so we we were in a kind of a it said it was a flea market on the south side of town. And as I was walking through, I just started thinking, "Man, there's a lot of junk in here. There's just junk everywhere." And it just started me thinking about that physical realm and how many how much physical and material stuff we have and i mean it's it's not it's not rocket science what type of physical blessings do we have today houses a place to live that we can go to every night that doesn't change um we have money we have a car sometimes that's a blessing sometimes it's not Um, we have just kind of the basic necessities we have food and we have all of these physical blessings what about spiritual blessings? I was, starting, I was thinking about this, this, that this past week. What do we have in the area that is a spiritual blessing? And it got me thinking, restored relationships. When brother and brother that have been arguing come back and restore a relationship. Or when husband and wife come back and restore their marriage. Or when mom and dad come back and restore their, their, uh, their relationship, father, son, mother, daughter, all these relationships that are restored. When a person restores that relationship with God, their creator, with Christ, their creator, that's a spiritual blessing. When we sit down with somebody and, and walk them through, when they're, maybe they're a, the, a, a baby infant Christian, and we sit down with them for a, a month, we sit down with them for two months, a year, and we, and we walk with them and talk with them about the, the Bible and what the Bible teaches. That is a spiritual blessing. And then they go back and turn around and they do the same thing and they grab somebody else. That is a spiritual blessing. When we serve... When we give of ourselves, when we say, you know, I'm going to give up coming to Sunday morning service on April 29th and I'm going to go out and serve my community. That is a spiritual blessing. When we can go out and help somebody that might not have the resources to fix their house, to mow their lawn, to, to clean up their, their, the brush in their yard, to take down a tree. We have to make sure that we have the, the right motives. We can't go into it with the wrong motives. Make sure, Making sure that we have the right motives and the right action. Because if we have the right motives and the wrong actions, we might go in, we might pray, and we might talk about it, but yet we don't show up on Sunday morning. That would be the right motives. We're, we're, we're getting there, but we don't show up and we don't help, or we don't help serve somebody in the community. If we have the wrong motives, the right actions, we might complain about, all oh, these people, they can do it themselves, But yet we show up with a smile on our face and say, Hey, we're here from Waukee Community Church. How can we help you? You know, that's the wrong motives, right action. Making sure that we have the right motives and the right action. That we begin praying now. As Thomas had mentioned earlier, we begin praying now. Maybe drive through the neighborhoods in Waukee and look around with God's eyes to see how it is that we can serve our community. And as we go and serve, exercise compassion on those individuals. Or with those individuals. God's blessings are available to His people. Use the physical blessings to reap spiritual blessings. In this passage here, God's throwing out a challenge to us. How we respond will say a lot about whether or not we will be aware of God's blessings. Just as we have choice today, so did the Jews. They decided to move forward and start pursuing God's or pursuing holiness. They started pursuing God and looking for God. Let's take a look at how God responded in uh, verse 18. Consider from this day onward. Forget about what took place back then. Consider this day. I'm talking to you today. Consider from this day onward. From the 24th day of the ninth month since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. God is saying, you know, you don't have your staple items. You don't have the grains just to stay alive because all of that blight and there was no return on your product. You don't have the luxury items either. Because those are gone as well. And it's in the middle of December. It's past the growing season. And so they're sitting there. We're building this temple, God. And you're asking us to give this and give and give. But yet, God says, I will be the one that blesses you. I'm very thankful for that. That God blesses us despite our past failures. When I started substitute teaching, I had a conversation with the principal. If you remember, I started substitute teaching in the high school that I went to. I was kind of a goofball in high school. And the principal wanted to sit down with me and say, Jeff, I know what you were like two years ago. Are you going to be that same way with the students here? I'm very thankful that he gave me another opportunity. Because that allowed me to coach sports, because it allowed me to go out and see guys out on the practice field, out on the playing field, improve as their days went by, as the season went by, and making catches and making touchdowns and winning ball games. I know that's a physical blessing, but there's satisfaction in that. You know, we, we, have, to be, we have to be careful. Because when we, when we respond to God's blessings, there's two ways that we often look at when we respond to God's blessing. We often look for that prosperity. How can this affect me? And how, you know, how can I have a bigger and better life? There's that one way of looking at prosperity or a, of God's blessing. But there's also another way that we can, we can often blame. God, you bless them and they're a horrible person. Why can't you bless me? So we start blaming God. We need to make sure that we have a balance, that we give God the praise, we give God the glory. If God is going to choose to bless us with physical blessings, we need to turn around and give God the praise and the glory for those uh, blessings that we can then turn around and give to other people. You know, God's blessings are available to his people. Keep the proper perspective of God's blessings. You know, as we wrap up here this morning phrase team is going to be coming. We're going to sing another song. But there's there's three things that I just wanted to point out. How can I make sure that I live a life of blessing and not regret? This was said to me a couple weeks ago. I was at a conference and I heard this phrase and this is one of the things that I remember. How can I make sure that I live a life of blessing? This phrase was said, who's going to cry at my funeral and hang out with them? I thought that was pretty significant just to say, who is it that I want to invest in? I don't want to, I don't want to invest in somebody that doesn't you know, want to develop a relationship. Who's going to cry at my funeral and hang out with them? How can, I make, how can I be sure that I'm ready to receive God's blessing? Are you actively pursuing God? Are you actively pursuing holiness? How can I assess whether I am using God's blessings properly? Am I focusing a majority of my time on building buildings? Or am I focusing a majority of my time on building relationships, those with people around me? God's blessings are always available to His people. Are His people ready and willing to receive them? We're going to sing one more song today. Um, And if... uh, You guys could please stand as we...